Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we are finishing Tales of the Jedi. This was nice and quick. This was Ahsoka's tale. Today we're covering chapters 1, 5, and 6, Life and Death, Practice Makes Perfect, and Resolve. We start off in Life and Death with the birth of the wee baby Soka. The one, the only Soka Tano. She ah! is so small. I'm literally already crying. Send help. Oh no. <laughs> so after the title credits, we fast forward to Ahsoka being one year old and her mom, Pavti, is taking her into the woods to do a, I guess, ceremonial hunt, which you take your baby on after a year in their village. Yeah, you know, casual mama-daughter violence bonding. I love this for them. And as they're out, the old lady, Gantica, paints them with blue paint for luck as she's feeding popcorn to her popcorn pups for a little rowdy cherubs of pups. It is the best. And then Pavti straps baby Soka to her boobs slings a rifle on her shoulder, and they're off on the hunt. As they go through, uh, first of all, baby Ahsoka is the cutest, like most well-behaved baby ever. If this is what babies were like, I would have a baby. Yeah, only baby to Grudens, unfortunately. Okay, well, we need to go send me off to, <laughs> to Gruta land. To get babyfied. This this beautiful planet. This is my There's plan. like giant puffball mushrooms and little flying squirrels everywhere. When they finally get to the place which they are going to, which is full of kaibucks, I believe they're called, according to the subtitles. At kind least. of like deer, antler, mountain goat creatures. They look like pretty good eating. Yeah, they do. And so Pavti quiets Ahsoka and levels her rifle and takes the shot. And then they're butchering the kaibuck and ready well, to take it on. she needs to cut its throat because yeah. she got oh, it. Right. it. It's down, but it's not dead. So there's a small gratitude ritual for its life and death. And Pavti is getting the carcass ready to bring back to the and village. And Ahsoka is like distressed, but Pavti is reassuring her that death is a part of life and she needs to address it as well. And then Ahsoka's eyes get real big. And she's like, well, what's that cool thing behind you? Pavti turns around and there is a mega saber cat. This is the largest cat. Schmassive, primordial saber-toothed tiger this with is... muscles like a linebacker. Yeah, the kaibuck is a screecher. The me- mega saber cat <laughs> is definitely a monster. Yes. So Pavti just goes full defensive mom mode, screams at it, grabs her rifle, shoots it, gets into a knife fight with it, gets tackled by it. The villagers are all running towards them as they hear gunfire and screaming. The tiger is knocking her around like a chew toy. Oh yeah, because the tiger weighs 2,000 pounds. Uh, Finally, the villagers all arrive. Pavti's been knocked aside and the mega saber cat runs away, but not before picking up Little baby Soka and running into the woods. Consolation prize, tiny Tegruta baby. <laughs> Literally 12 pounds of meat for all this effort. You would think that this is bad news bears for baby Soka, but oh, how the turntables. So the mega saber cat is sitting there in its lair and it's like growling at, so- at baby Soka and it's licking its wounds. And then Ahsoka stands up and gives it a boop on the nose. It's slinking up to her, literally licking its chops. And she just puts her tiny newborn hand on its nose mm-hmm. and we cut back to the village. And the villagers, it's its getting dark. All the villagers are running towards the woods. They're ready to start fighting when they hear a roar. 
And then the creature, the mega saber cat, slinks out of the darkness. Gantica says to hold their shots. And who's riding on the back of the mega saber cat but baby Ahsoka? And it majestically kneels down in front of Pav T so she can grab her incredibly powerful and mysterious toddler off of its back. And then it like doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't make facial expressions or anything. It just slinks off. And Pavti says, how can this be? And Gantika says, Ahsoka is Jedi. Oh my God. I was crying so hard at the end of this episode that Sam just wordlessly got off the couch and came back with a box of tissues. <laughs> I couldn't even see straight to write sobbing in my notes. It just says in all caps, sobbamangaga. <laughs> So, Sam, what did you think about this tale? Well, I love this one. We know from the Clone Wars that Ahsoka is was picked up by Plo Koon at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Like four? Yeah. Well, maybe even one or two. But it's really interesting to see how one would recognize that they have a Jedi baby. Because you know at a pretty young age if a child is going to speak late or have like a very interesting attitude towards life. Mm. My my sister, for example, remembers uh, being born. She has like a eidetic memory for that. Wow. And so she was always, you know, kind of kind of grouchy as a child, but traumatized yeah. by her own birth. Yeah. And then um, you know, my younger brother, he was uh he was interesting as you know that he was interesting in his old way as a baby as well. Just taking a while to walk and talk. And now he's like a full-on physical monster. He just climbs all day. So it's interesting how a baby, even at one year old, has already developed this full-on personality. Yeah. I mean, you, you're you in a special position because your mom is an educator. Yeah. So she true. probably had more tools. She's the Gantica in that situation. <laughs> she bit. looks at her baby children and can say, oh, yeah, Sam is going to be incredibly smart and wise and have a big personality when he grows up, you know? Well, I'm the oldest, and so my parents weren't really prepared for me very much. In fact, um, I was- Who such- could be prepared for you, Sam? You come <laughs> in like a hurricane. The uh, The family story is that my I was born at two in the morning, and they drove to the hospital and expected my mom to be in labor for a while. But while they were running to grab a doctor- uh, my dad just delivered me. I just popped right out. Wait, so. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. And so my parents are like, all right, doctors are so expensive. They didn't do anything. They just came and cut the cord. So I mean, literally, but, they have a point. Yeah, but my mom always talks about how she knew that I would be, you know, who I was going to be as a toddler from a very young age. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting way of viewing your children. Wow. Now, with Ahsoka in this arc, if we've done enough reminiscing about my family. Well, that's the thing about these kinds of stories. When you go all the way back to someone's origin point, I do think it makes you reminisce on your own birth and celebration of life. And it, it I, this story activated so many primal feelings in me, so many primal longings, mm. like to live in a place like this, to have a village like this, to have a community like this, to have rituals and blessings and a way of understanding the world that is based on respect. 
Yeah, that's very much the subtext. I mean, once again, these are only like 12 minutes long, so there's not a lot of dialogue. But, you know, this story jam-packs a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It it gives us Ahsoka's birth. It gives us this beautiful mother-daughter ritual. And Poff T is imparting a lot of wisdom to baby Soka. Mm-hmm. As they're walking through the forest, she's saying things like, look, Ahsoka, life is all around you. You need to honor it and respect it. On the flip side... Don't be afraid of death. Yeah. And and never take more than you need. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of mom wisdom in three lines. And presumably it's the lessons throughout everything. It's just the repetition of those lessons over and over again. But yeah, very cool stuff. A very cool place to live. I just feel so happy that this place exists. Mm-hmm. And and so sad that Ahsoka's taken away from it too. Yeah, but that's sort of the dark side of this is that a child who would have force powers uncontrolled might, as part of their childish and going through particularly puberty emotions, run into the dark side and tear themselves apart without Mm. a guide. So the Jedi are rescuing this child from this village as well because she will be such a powerful Jedi that she might cause problems. You know, it is interesting that you say that because when the schmonster, the saber-toothed schmonster mm-hmm. brings Ahsoka back to the village and majestically presents Ahsoka back to Pavti, everyone is awed, mm-hmm. but they do not seem glad. There's a real undercurrent of tension when Pavti turns to Gantika and says, how is this possible? Yeah. It's not a joyful thing to hear that Ahsoka is Jedi, maybe because she's dangerous, maybe because she's not well understood, maybe mm. because now Pavti knows that she's going to be taken away. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's that obviously this child is special and because of their specialness, they don't fall into the way a parent would want to raise a child because that seems to be, in my experience, because I've been on this earth for 30 some odd years and I've met a lot of parents and I've met a lot of children because everyone everyone I've met is a child of someone. (laughs) And parents often have needs, wants, and desires and they recognize that they would love at some sub-level that their children grew up exactly the way they wanted them to. Yeah. But they also recognize that children grow up to be their own unique people. Well, and it's also the the thought that a parent needs to be well-equipped to raise their child well. And if their child is surpassing their expectations, how are they prepared to give that child what they need? Like, that's why I love that you were reminiscing on growing up. Because when I talked to your mom about mm-hmm. when you were growing up, she was like, Yes, Sam was so far advanced in school that he needed special education. And the special education in the place where Sam grew up was for students who were not advanced, right? So, like, she lacked the resources that she needed to give you everything she wanted to, right? And I think Pavti probably feels the same way about her mysterious and powerful baby child, Yeah. So for context there, I grew up in a very small town and out of like that, you take all those standardized tests and everything. 
And the way my mom describes it, because as you said, she's an educator, I was at a high school level from grade school. Yeah. And, and they didn't know what to do with you. No, because the school system didn't allow people to skip grades or anything with good reason. My sister actually did end up skipping a grade, but she was also um, like a year larger than everyone else. She was a tall child. Yeah, which which helps. I was a pretty small child until uh, high school, really. Mm -hmm. So I would have been too small. And as far as emotional maturity, I'm currently at the emotional maturity of someone in their young 20s. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's, difficult, to, it's difficult to figure out where you're going to be. But... In a way, having a galaxy-spanning group of people who go and pick out people who are never going to fit in where they grew oh. up is a good thing. You know, what I was thinking about actually was, can you imagine being one of the other Togruta children in the village and looking at Ahsoka and being like, isn't that the girl that came riding it on the back of a tiger when she was two seconds old? Oh, yeah. And think of how much fun they'd make fun of her when she was like six. Like, tiger rider, tiger rider. Or like a hundred other mean things that children come up with because yeah. children are cruel. Yeah. Because we look at Ahsoka and we're like, oh, my God, what a legend. And they look at Ahsoka and they're like, you don't fit in here. Exactly. That's interesting. There's one other tiny thing that I wanted to bring up, which is that, you know, I love getting an insight into religion in Star Wars. Mm. And so we don't necessarily get religion per se in this tale, but we do get Pav T talking about the the spirits that the Togrutans worship, the ancestors. Yeah. So there's that tiny moment, the only line that we really get from Ahsoka's dad, Nakheel, who is kind of, he gives me jabroni vibes. He's not like a huge, powerful presence. He's working on the roof the whole time, which is something that you do in a rural society. That's a real you know? dad move. Yeah. Like, I'm just hammering these shingles into the roof. Because he's got a... a wife and baby he's like i gotta keep a warm household he's doing his thing although he does drop his rifle at the end which is a jabroni move but yeah, anyway not great what Pop does he say is, about religion poverty is clearly the the superior parent in this <laughs> paradigm but so he's saying poverty like you don't need to follow this old custom you're not old yet and she's like don't make fun you'll make the ancestors mad right which gives me like big mushu vibes from mulan okay I just think there's so many beautiful koans that we got from Pav T about this kind of Jedi-adjacent way of moving through the world. The lessons that she's giving Ahsoka about life and death and honor and respect are very similar to the teachings that the Jedi will pass on to Ahsoka too. And they are quasi-religious, quasi-spiritual. I was having a really in-depth conversation with someone yesterday, and the permeation of religion and spirituality and the corruption of it by our capitalist society is so pervasive that it actually makes this type of thing seem so foreign of live in a village, have like a nice traditional life, uh, venerate the way of life that you grew up in, seem foreign when in reality it is the most natural thing i know and i think that's why i was having these big feelings and this big longing to live in a place like this because it felt both unfamiliar and very very appealing mm -hmm. very desirable yeah having 
that mutual respect um, and having your village never clear cut to add more housing or whatever is a very deep calling of the human condition. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same thing where I say all the time, like, I just want to be a Pokemon trainer. I just want to live in this beautiful, dense, lush, Togruta forest village and just live a simple life. And I, when I say that I'm sad that Ahsoka was taken away from that, I'm also like trying to process, I feel sad that I don't live in this place as well. And I, I love that. I just get such a... I get such a beautiful feeling and such a Star Wars feeling from this. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I just, I don't know how to express how much I loved it because there's so much tied up in that love of it hmm. and that longing. Yeah. I think love might be one of the core themes of this arc, especially in the next one. Mm, do you want to move on to the next episode? I do, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, chapter five of Ahsoka's tale is Practice Makes Perfect. So we speed through Ahsoka's adolescence until she hits mm, 15, we'll say. This is like season one or season two Ahsoka. So she's already a Padawan. My guess is that this is actually between season two and season three. Because season three, her outfit is similar, but it has like the diamond cutouts on the leggings. Uh But this one, her crop top is longer than season one. Maybe she has more than one pair of clothes. That would be a big retcon <laughs> for those of us who are Clone Wars fans, Sam, which I include myself in that. Well, in that she's lineage. able. So this one's taking place on Coruscant. And so she's able to come back to Coruscant. Maybe she has more than one change of clothes on Coruscant. But when she goes to war, her wardrobe gets shot down. That feels accurate. We're going to go with that. Okay. okay. So she's already Anakin's Padawan. And this episode opens up on... Tara Sinube basically proctoring a, a Jedi exam. Yeah. There's a bunch of remote-controlled blaster pods shooting at her while she deflects them with a lightsaber. She is doing amazing. There's a bunch of people watching, including Caleb Dune and Deepa Palaba, who are all loving her moves. She's really good. Yeah. They're like, oh my God. She's amazing, which is what I was doing. But Anakin, of course, is hashtag unimpressed. Mm -hmm. They have kind of a weird confrontation afterwards where he's like, this is a dumb test. If you want a real one, I'll give you a real test. So they go out to a hangar Mm -hmm. on Coruscant and he sets her this seemingly impossible challenge. Rex and Jesse and a bunch of other clone troopers stand in a circle around her. All she has is her lightsaber, and they fire blasters at her without warning while she tries to hold them off instinctively, or else she gets knocked out by the stun guns for like an hour. And the scene cuts to Ahsoka swinging, getting knocked out, swinging, getting knocked out again and again and again and again. And after 15 tries, she finally gets mad at Anakin, which is 14 times more than I would have taken to snap at my Jedi Master. And so she's getting stunned and there's they're remarking that it's taking her less time to come out of a stun, but she's still, this is presumably taken a full like day, like 
12 hours or something of getting knocked like, out. She's like, this is ridiculous. When am I ever going to be fighting against anyone as good as clones? Mm-hmm. Oh, send help. Ah! Anakin grabs her by the shoulders and says, I want this to be difficult. This is about life and death. The best way I can protect you is to teach you how to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And the next time Ahsoka's knocked out, she wakes up and she's older. Yeah. She's got her season three outfit on. She's got two lightsabers. The blaster fire is coming faster and faster. She is so much more controlled and fierce, but she's doing the same exercise. And uh, I, I estimate that this is actually about season five Ahsoka. That she's, feels about right. And she is doing a great job until Rex pulls out his blasters and shoots her right in the face. He nails her between the eyes. Yeah. She gets knocked out. She wakes up again. And then finally, we open on season seven Ahsoka looking like a W-O-M-A-N, mm-hmm. like a fierce badass lady. And she's walking in with Rex to face the 10,000 clones that have snapped under Order 66 and are out for her blood. And she puts her hands behind her head so she can pretend that Rex is holding her prisoner. And he says, let's hope all that training pays off. And then they walk forward into the hangar where Jesse is leading all of the troops against them. And, you know, the rest is history. I just turned on the waterworks in this oh, one. I had to go rewatch Victory and Death, the last episode mm-hmm. of The Clone Wars, and I cried my little heart out. This is such a love song to season seven Ooh. of how did Ahsoka get to be so good? What is the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka and Ahsoka and Rex? And it's absolutely beautiful watching her improve and in a way, it's also watching the Clone Wars animation improve. Yeah. And watching Ahsoka just evolve and escalate and just amplify as a woman, as a Jedi. Yeah. Season seven of the Clone Wars is so beautiful. And yet, as I was watching Tales of the Jedi, which came out in 2022, and I went back to Victory and Death, which is the last and most beautiful episode of the Clone Wars, it did even look clunky in comparison. Yeah, we've really, man, the the quality improvement has made such an impact. We've talked about this at length during our Watch for the Clone Wars of how transformative to the industry Clone Wars was. Ooh. And it really is. We know that Tales of the Jedi had just a monster budget. They were able to get Ashley Eckstein back to do voices. Everyone is voiced by their original actors. Dee Bradley Baker's back. Yeah, and it's for 12 minutes you know it's a a small little project and also this isn't once again an entry into the clone wars like this episode would not make sense out of context if you hadn't seen through season seven of the clone wars if you didn't know a whole bunch about ahsoka's story and so this is just a, a wonderful little dessert for what's going on. Yeah, because what I was thinking was that having watched all 122 episodes of The Clone Wars, nice. we had enough of Ahsoka's trials and travails and growth over the last seven seasons to see how she became who she became. And now we know that in between some of the incredibly difficult things she was facing as a Padawan, she was doing this extracurricular training and getting her butt whooped on the daily. 
Yeah. So back in the first scene on Coruscant in the Jedi Temple, it's the little uh, droids from episode four is where you actually first see them. Hassel and Luke, these little hover droids that shoot lasers. Oh, fun. The ones that they train the younglings on? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very fun because those are such an iconic bit of Star Wars lore to have Mm. these these little droids that hover around and just zap you. And Ahsoka is already doing so well that Mace and Obi-Wan are like, yeah, she's doing great. You should be proud. And Anakin is such a, just a hard ass about it. I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the vibes between Anakin and Ahsoka during the test? So it actually goes back to the conflicts that they had in season two, season three. Mm. And I really felt that that was a deep moment of conflict for them that they eventually evolved past. And I think that was really important. It was especially important in showing the evolution of a Padawan and master relationship to one of two mutual Jedi Knights, because we don't really get that evolution rapidly we start off in phantom menace in the movies we start off in phantom menace and obi-wan is the padawan of qui-gon and it's great and uh, qui-gon is like i can't teach him anymore he's ready to become a jedi knight Mm. but he's so young still and then we move to episode two and it's so confrontational between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yeah, they have a very hostile vibe. They do basically the whole movie because then the action turns on and we don't get time for their relationship to grow because we're growing other relationships. We've got Geonosians and Dooku to work with. And then in episode three, they split off from each other and we only see them working together in the first fight scene with Dooku. So this is actually a wonderful growth. And it's it's interesting watching it with this massive time delay, right? Because this spans like three years from Ahsoka in season two and Ahsoka in season seven. That's like three in-universe years. Seeing the relationship, because you don't see this until we've seen season seven Ahsoka and Anakin, which is already after they've broken up. Mm-hmm. Then we go back and see how it started. I know it gave me whiplash. It reminded me that the Clone Wars movie is where Anakin and Ahsoka start calling each other Snips and Snipes, Snips and Sky Guy. Yeah. But that's kind of the only mark of affection between them. They're really kind of rivaling for dominance. They are. And it goes back to something we talked about last episode with Dooku of how the Padawan has to keep the master in check as well. Yeah. But the... The visibility of Ahsoka as someone who's growing and this relationship of how Anakin pushes her 100% to her limit 100% of the time. I would say he pushes her 110% of her limit. Clearly, in most of these training scenes, she really is not capable of accomplishing this impossible task. So he's pushing her past her limit, trying to force her to grow. Yeah, and she does, which means that he is actually doing a really good job of a teacher of pushing her to grow. It's really interesting to me because I think the tension between them, it's randomly very hostile in mm-hmm. in this tale, but I think it's because probably of a lot of fear of Anakin. He says, I'm responsible for you. I'm your yeah. Jedi master. And mm-hmm. so in order for me to be able to handle this burden, 
I need to outsource some of it to you, right? I can't be responsible for you 100% of the time. I need you to be able to be responsible for yourself, which is so interesting because I think it's all wrapped up in this fear of failing her or losing her. It's just the flip side of fear is love. The flip side of love is fear. Mm -hmm. Anakin loves Ahsoka so much and he is so afraid for her that he really punishes her. This is a punishing challenge. Absolutely. I wonder how much of it is also informed by Anakin in Attack of the Clones being like, so there I was in the Geonosian factory and i was trying to keep track of c-3po and padme i was rescuing obi-wan r2 like, was there r- doing great r2 never needs rescuing but <laughs> but everyone ahsoka, else ahsoka be like r2 yeah i need you i need you at least performing at the level of r2 preferably <laughs> at the level of like obi-wan plus so i don't have to worry about you so i can run off and do heroic anakin things amazing i think that's what he is aiming for but also he doesn't want to carry any additional burdens, but that kind of lets him be a, this is him being like the best Jedi he can be because when he's sitting there and he says like six or seven times again, again, again. Oh my God. And you just want to punch him in the teeth. But his face is not changing. Mm -hmm. He is not angry. He's not malicious. He's impassive. He's just do it and keep doing it and keep doing it until you get better. I would argue that this is a really great example of how Anakin believes that the end justifies the means. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other Jedi that we see believe that the means justify the end. Hmm. I would say Obi-Wan believes that the way that you move through a situation, it doesn't matter how it ends up as long as you were principled and you conducted yourself with ethics and honor and responsibility. I think Anakin is thinking... As long as Ahsoka turns out powerful and efficient and skilled, then it doesn't matter what I put her through because she ended up in a better place. And that's just a really fascinating little ethical dilemma. It is, particularly because that led Anakin to a dark place, Obi-Wan to a light place, and Ahsoka to a neutral place. Exactly. And I just, I think the power of... Tales of the Jedi of these tiny moments is that they're distilling down these character arcs and these themes that we've seen played out on the grand scale in the Clone Wars. And now we're just getting this really pure distillation of them. And it it's so amazing to watch because we're recognizing an entire character arc in 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are beautifully crafted. The one tiny thing that I wanted to talk about is just that I really like Ahsoka's stance, especially in the early shots of of Practice Makes Perfect. She crouches down and she just has one lightsaber at this point and it's held behind her back. It's really wide out from her body. Mm -hmm. And it kind of felt like a weird, slow opening stance in terms of reaction time but it made me think that maybe Togruta wrists are just really powerful 
Like maybe she can just flick her blade in whatever direction she needs to get it to deflect a blaster shot. Yeah. It just reminded me that Ahsoka is not human. Ahsoka has a really different physiological thing going on. She does. And then later on, her moves are so good. Oh my God, so fluid. That little spin she does in midair twice in this episode is phenomenal. And then in the middle one of this, where she around season five, she's doing cool moves where she's like, scraping a hole, a circle around her with her lightsabers in the deck of the ship before doing crazy jumps and blocking things. It's very cool. It's just a little moment of seeing that Ahsoka is all grown up. For sure. I think that is a really interesting segue to the final chapter, which is Resolve. So Resolve actually moves us forward an interminable amount of time. So we might be actually out of chronology right now. Chronology warning. (laughs) So first we start at Padme's funeral, which is at the end of episode three. And Bail Organa and Mon Mothma are sitting there. Everyone's crying. And they see a figure in the crowd. It's Ahsoka in her Ahsoka hood. Bail follows her and says, why are you risking it? You can't be here. And stormtroopers, Coruscant Guard, are following them around being super Gestapo-esque. Ahsoka disappears. First, he hands her a communications Mm -hmm. device. And then he has this lovely conversation at the guards so that Ahsoka can hear him. And then we see Ahsoka after this conversation, which is, if you ever need me, call me. She disappears. She meets up with Rex. They fly off in their Y-Wing. Sometime later, we're on some pastoral farming world, and some farmers, including Ahsoka, who's just farming, under the alias Ashla, are stacking up hay on a cart, and then it's break time, and everyone goes off to take a break, but uh, there's a brother and sister pair, and the sister is standing next to the cart when the cart fails, it drops a whole bunch of straw in her, and she looks up from being surrounded by this straw and sees Ahsoka having pushed the force. It is important to note that the brother caused this mishap because he's a butt monkey. <laughs> the brother is pretty bad. So the sister notices this and is making all of these overtures at Ahsoka saying, we'll be protected as we travel to the market tomorrow. Because She's like, wink, wink, master Jedi. But the brother has listened in on this conversation. Yeah, and Ahsoka's mad. She's like, you cannot be saying that out loud. Yeah. Turns out the brother is this imperial loyalist who's like things are so much better under emperor palpatine and as long as you're loyal to the emperor you'll be fine so early in the morning ahsoka and the sister head off to town to do their selling of hay and then they come back late at night the village is burning standing there is an old man and the brother and a figure draped in an imperial cloak wearing a horrifying mask and wielding a red lightsaber. He, the brother, points at Ahsoka and his sister coming back. And he says, look, I told you the Jedi would come back. You should reward me. And the figure circles around him, lifts up his lightsaber and says, here's your reward. But Ahsoka flings the lightsaber so that it misses. The brother falls to the ground. The figure says, Can it be? You're supposed to be dead, Ahsoka Tano. And she curls her hand into a fist. But then she 
relaxes. The figure turns on the other blade of its lightsaber, charges at her. She grabs the lightsaber. She dodges a couple moves. She grabs the lightsaber. She turns it off. She yanks it. She turns it back on and slashes the figure. The mask of this figure, a horrifying visage, falls to the ground, deflating. And she says, we have to go. The Empire will track us. They'll send more. And we cut to the three survivors of this village with their sleeping bags and everything packed up. And there's the Tantive Four, Bail Organa's ship, arriving and picking them up. And Ahsoka going up and hands the communicator to Bail. And he says, I was beginning to think you'd never use this. Are you ready to get back in the fight? And Sorry, she closes. up. Oh, no. <laughs> she closes her eyes. She steals herself. She opens them and she nods. And that is Tales of the Jedi season one. Oh, there's tears coming out of Sam's face. Oh. So Bail Organa's role in the rebellion. Ooh. Is it starts kind of in episode two. It moves through several of the Clone Wars episodes and then it ends up in Revenge of the Sith as he is the one who drives up to the Jedi Temple and is going to rescue younglings. He he facilitates Yoda trying to take out the Emperor. He's driving around his freaking presumably 150,000 credit convertible (laughs) (laughs) that's like done up in Zybraxian leather or whatever. And he is there for it. I just got goosebumps all over as you said that because I I hadn't put the pieces together because I'm growing up Skywalker, yeah. right? This is the first time I'm seeing so much Star Wars content. And I had put the pieces together that Bale was a conscientious objector yeah. to a lot of the failures of democracy and a lot of the fascist overtones of the Clone Wars and the prequel films. But I hadn't put the pieces together that he is sowing the seeds of a rebellion. I hadn't figured that out for some reason. And now he's sitting here with Ahsoka and he says, are you ready to get into the fight? Well, and it's so beautiful because the conversation that he has at the guards on the palace Mm -hmm. in Naboo, he says, it's easy to get lost with all that has happened. Ahsoka. Yeah. Still, we have a duty, don't we? An obligation to uphold when we're able to. Yeah. And if you should ever need anything, please get in touch. And the guards are like, who are you talking to? (laughs) Yeah, I know. He does such a lovely job of like talking at these patrol guards. And they're like, when would we ever need anything from you? But Ahsoka, you know, hiding in her little bat cave up there (laughs) waiting to flit away into the darkness, hears him say that. And as soon as she has these people that she needs to protect, she thinks of Bail. And I think that is such a beautiful commentary mm-hmm. on Bail's character. Like, the secret hero of the Clone Wars has been Padme and Bail for me. It has been. Another extremely cool bit of this one is the fight, because it calls back to the fight between Maul and Ahsoka. Yeah, it's these moments that Ahsoka really turns into a hero Mm -hmm. for me. So I think in some ways this episode feels like a really natural continuation of the Martez sisters arc. Yeah, Ahsoka's even wearing her bell-bottom cool jumpsuit from season seven. And And the Martez sisters arc was about Ahsoka learning about the plight of the common people, 
coming to terms with the fact that she of all people is in a position to help them. And this tale starts there Mm -hmm. with that understanding, forces Ahsoka to see that she can't just protect people one by one. She needs to do this on a grander scale. And I think the duel with this mysterious figure that I don't know anything about is the turning point for her. Yeah. Because she's... She's so willing to stand up in the face of danger for these three people, right? And the duel is amazing. You know, the Inquisitor is circling the brother, demanding to know where she is. And she just walks up and says, here I am. Let them go. Take me on for size. Yeah. And then the Inquisitor, who apparently you know who they are, gets just completely beat, just just demolished by Ahsoka in two moves. My panic reaction, and I know this for a fact, if there's fight, flight, or freeze, my panic reaction is freeze. Uh And Ahsoka's is kick some ass. Yeah, for real. what? Seeing her stand up for the common people again and again and again and put her life on the line brings me to tears Mm -hmm. every time I see it. But I, and I think... What was incredible is that it's not just an amazing Ahsoka duel. It's an amazing catalyst for her journey. Yeah. Because Bale says, are you ready to join the fight again? And she decides she is. Yep. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. You are correct. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so cool. And watching the moment that brings Ahsoka into this is so cool and so important because over the course of the next couple series that we're going to watch here in phase two of growing up Skywalker, we're going to keep seeing characters, but we're also going to be introducing so many new ones. And it makes when characters who have hung up their lightsaber to mourn, Mm. because that's what this is. It's mourning when they come back ready to fight, it makes it so much sweeter. Mm. What's really interesting to me is that this content is so new. Tales of the Jedi came out in late 2022. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful twist of the timeline that we get to watch it right as it comes out. But I'm assuming that for a long time, this turning point in Ahsoka's journey was not known, was not written, was not animated was not part of the lore. And so so were you just guessing what Ahsoka was doing in all these years? So interestingly, in 2016, E.K. Johnston wrote a book called Ahsoka, Mm -hmm. which is a YA novel about this kind of thing. And the telling of the story has changed a little bit because it covers what Ahsoka was doing in season six. It covers much of season seven, which was later turned into season seven uh, with adaptation and changes. And then it covers this arc now in the book this is the main plot Mm. that there are farming planets in rebellion Mm. how ahsoka is dealing with the rebellion there's love there's loss there's sabotage there's uh r2 doing r2 things and bale doing bale things as well as the sixth brother who is the sixth brother the inquisitor in the book who ahsoka defeats uh, the Sixth Brother does not look like this Inquisitor, but it might be. You know, the the Inquisitors look different in the medium that they're in. 
But this is and the first time we see it in Inquisitor, and it is an adaptation of this Ahsoka book. So in between 2016 and 2020, this would be the story of Ahsoka oh. between her time in season five and her time later on that we see her. In 2020, with season seven, we see an adaptation of that. And now we see what happens after the Siege of Mandalore into what she's what she's up to do we get an explanation of what these inquisitors are all about you are in luck that's coming relatively soon in our watch through and it is something ironically from a rpg a tabletop rpg the west end games one from the 80s or 70s, I believe. Maybe the 90s. That's when they came up with this concept of Inquisitors? Way back when. Wow. And back then, there were people who, as part of Order 66, Vader is ordered to kill all the Jedi. But Vader's just one horrific cyborg monstrosity. He can't be (laughs) in two places at once. And so several Force users were turned into being... Inquisitors who hunted Jedi. Hmm. Later on, and I guess in terms of timeline, this is probably the first time that we see this because this, without knowing anything about the timeline, I know that this happens before Rebels. I know that this happens probably before the events of Kenobi, but it also seems to happen after the events of Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. So we are... This is the first canonical appearance of an Inquisitor who is doing that job. Okay. We don't know who they are. We find out. And okay. th- more recently, they've been in quite a few media. We've seen them in Kenobi, in Rebels, and in the video game Jedi Fallen Order, which is canon. You have seen them in all of these media. I have been innocent of their violent purge of the galaxy. Well, you are in luck because we're going to see quite a few of them, and they are real scary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I gathered that. I gathered from the dulcet bass tones of this Inquisitor, which I was listening to this audio on headphones, and the Inquisitor's voice bottoms out on the scale (laughs) of how deep you can hear on noise-canceling headphones. It is amazing. (laughs) And the duel, I mean, I watched it like 50 times Mm -hmm. and cried the whole time. There's this gorgeous, swooping, sort of force theme music playing. And it's got the same determined drum beats from Practice Makes Perfect, which has an incredible score. And we get these close-up shots of Ahsoka's face lit by flames. And she's just never looked more beautiful or more tired or more resolved. And that's the name of this tale is Resolve. And then she's like, oh, you're using that move. The last time I saw someone use this move, it was Darth freaking Maul, and I beat him. I beat him so hard. Beat him like a rented mule. And then we shocked him because, aw, poor Rex and the boys showed up and shocked him to within an inch of his life. Well, this is a different day, my friend, and I'm a different Jedi. Which means I'm going to have to put you down. And she did. And she did. 
I want to quickly go back to the E.K. Johnston novelization mm-hmm. that you were talking about, Ahsoka, which I have not read Neither because have I. I haven't read any Star Wars books. I, I glossed over a synopsis. Yeah. I just, I want to bring it up because I know that there was some criticism of this tale for ignoring a key plot point in the Ahsoka novelization, which is that the sister, Caden, likes Ahsoka romantically. In the book, this is a probably a different planet. It's a different story. It's the same theme, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard that some fans made the connection between... This tale, the sister in this tale and Caden from the Mm -hmm. Ahsoka novelization and E.K. Johnston, you know, came online and said, Ahsoka's not my character. I couldn't let her attract on any attraction that she may or may not have felt for Caden, but I could let Caden fall for her. Yeah. And I I just had some feelings about that. And I wanted to talk about it because I think E.K. Johnston is in a really tricky position mm-hmm. because she's writing original content in an existing universe yeah. with existing paradigms and structures. And the Star Wars universe is sort of relentlessly heterosexual. It is, with the notable exception of... Keanu Mooney. Well, actually, never mind. Uh, with the notable exception of Dr. Afra. Oh yeah. Cuz Dr. Afra every everyone in the Dr. Afra books wants to get with Dr. Afra whether they are, you know, male, female, robot, everyone. Like hard same. Yeah, Dr. Afra's amazing. And she's not particularly like oozing sex appeal. She's oozing danger. Says you. <laughs> Says you, Sam. Some of us think those things are intertwined, my friend. She is on the wrong end of the crazy hot spectrum for me, but... <laughs> yeah, okay, fair, fair. But um, I think that that's actually remarkably respectful because back in the 90s when the whole Legends was being built, everyone was sleeping with everyone. Oh my gosh. Like that was romance for Luke, romance for Han and Leia. Amazing. That was like the plot of everything. We talked uh, in the last Night Sisters arc about how the uh, courtship of Princess Leia is the title of the book that introduced the Night Sisters. Yeah. So that's what it was all about. And then another thing in the Legends community is everyone is everyone's kids. Mm. And so like Mm -hmm. if... If we still, if we, if Pablo Hidalgo hadn't come in with an axe and cleaned out legends, aside for real, then we would be having so many little Tagruta babies from Ahsoka who would be, you know, the most powerful force users in the galaxy, and somehow found time to to have some kiddos and take them on mama daughter hunting trips for real. Yeah. So I actually really appreciate the romance the respect oh yeah of like this is not yeah this is not my character so i can't have them act on that type of thing because then it turns into smutty fanfic yeah totally i think (laughs) i mean i think ek johnson was doing something really interesting which is writing original content in this place where some of the rules are stated and some of them are not yeah especially in terms of courtship and attraction and who gets to be attracted to who. And I really appreciate that she was trying to add some flavor to this kind of boring standard paradigm that Mm -hmm. is in the canon. But Ahsoka isn't hers. She doesn't get to decide Ahsoka's trajectory. So the best she can do is this kind of half suggestion, Mm -hmm. which is that 
maybe and maybe not Ahsoka is interested in this person back, but she can't actually make a decision. Another indictment of that is that the heteronormality of the Star Wars universe is... You know, it's just kind of 10 years behind the times. Okay, yes. And so I want to point out that in the 90s, it has been in fiction for a long time that bisexual women relationships are more acceptable than bisexual male relationships in the, I mean, basically 20th century in Western culture. Because before that, it was kind of, you know, whoever does whatever, but it took a lot. In fact, I feel like it took the movie Brokeback Mountain to <laughs> to actually make male-on-male romantic relationships be even thought of as something that could be art as opposed to smut. Wow. And Brokeback Mountain had to straight wash itself. It did. And to get accepted by regular audiences who came in for this like straight romance. And then they're like, oh, this is some dude on dude action. Whereas having a bisexual or lesbian relationship amongst women was titillating. Yeah. And so the Star Wars universe fundamentally continues to be conservative and the fandom continues to be fundamentally conservative and male dominated. And in the straight male mind, it's a similar thing of heteronormative relationships are 100% acceptable, followed by female and female relationships. And then male and male relationships are pretty unacceptable. Yeah. And that's just the way of the last like 30 years has been that it's a tide moving forward. And I, I still meet people. I It's only in the last few years for me, like five, that I've recognized that my ingrained things from when I was a young Padawan <laughs> are not true at all. Yeah, or that there is room for more. Yeah. Just there's room for more. There's room for more inclusivity. There's room for more diversity. There's room for more interesting permutations of who's allowed to love who Mm -hmm. in art. Because, Sam, you and I have read plenty of sci-fi, mostly sci-fi books, where the default relationships are not straight. The default romantic relationships are queer or polyamorous or any combination or permutation and it's weird that someone is straight. I can think of numerous series that we've read where that has been true. And I appreciate that E.K. Johnson is just trying to bring Star Wars up to speed. See, what's crazy is that the science fiction community, one of the keystones of the 70s was Forever War by Joe Haldeman. Hmm. And in that book, the short synopsis is that due to relativity, a a war takes thousands of real years to persecute, even though um, for a subjective time, it's like less than a lifetime. And when the war is won, the protagonist goes back to Earth and they are now an anachronism because the default relationship is homosexual. Mm-hmm. And they're like hetero and they're like shunned for it. And it's a really interesting thing because this is on the backdrop of the Vietnam War. Uh-huh. And so it is partially the alienation of going back to a universe which doesn't accept you. Yeah. But the fact that that society is moving along and using heteronormality as one of the blunt instruments to declare what exists and what doesn't Ooh. is uh, intriguing. But 
This I, is this is all to say, yeah. and I feel like I opened up a big can of worms. You did. I just wanted to say I appreciate what E.K. Johnston was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the difficulty of what she was trying to do, and yeah. I just applaud that. I deeply appreciate the respect. Yes. Because we have seen in Ahsoka's story a slight romantic interlude with Lux Bonteri. I know. And I was thinking about Lux Bonteri and how he reminds me so much of the butt monkey brother who <laughs> sold them out. But okay, anyway. But that is the only romantic thing we've seen with her. And I think that that goes to show that she is living as a Jedi and kind of above and beyond a lot of that, as well as maybe she likes humans, which is cool. But that in itself is kind of weird. Presumably, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think respect is a cool way to look at it. Yeah. I would love for Ahsoka to have everything she wants. And so whatever Ahsoka wants, I hope she gets it. That's what I that's what I have to say. We will see. We will see. We will see. On that note, is it time for a very quick Baywatch? Very oh, yeah, very quick Baywatch. Let's okay. Do it. Baywatch, it's time Baywatch, for Baywatch, 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 Sam, who's your bae? Bail Organa. Yes, that is a great choice. Uh, because he keeps up the fight. Uh-huh. And because he's running around. And because although this is Ahsoka's story and Ahsoka does just wreck throughout, Bail Organa is the one who keeps his cool the whole time. And in the scene at Padme's funeral, he's like, you shouldn't be here. And Ahsoka says, she was my friend. Oh. And that's so sad, but Bale's like, same girl, like, but there's a war on. Yeah. This this means go time. And when you are, but he's also so understanding because he's like, when you are ready to take up this fight, we could really use you. He's never seen her in action, but presumably he's heard of her by reputation. I would say I didn't remember all of the ways that Padme and Ahsoka are friends, but they really are friends. And I bet Padme talked to her friend Bail Organa about Anakin's amazing Padawan that she has been on adventures with. Yeah, because Bail has had his bacon saved by Anakin. And then Anakin's like, check out my Padawan. I extra trained her. <laughs> and Padme's like, hey, this one time on um, Raxus. We tried to save democracy together and we basically did. And Ahsoka fought off legions of everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wow, I would sure love to have a good Jedi because that's, he believes in the Republic. And he knows yeah. that having a good Jedi to do good things is what the Republic is all about. You know what I loved was the implication that he accepts the three surviving villagers as refugees in Alderaan. Yeah. Which is just another reason that Bail Organa is forever Bay. He accepted Padme's daughter mm-hmm. to raise as his own. He accepts refugees onto Alderaan. He's just, he's He's like eyes up all the time. He's always looking around, trying to see where he can be of service. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, he's just zaddy. (laughs) Bail Organa is zaddy, and I love that you said it for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Amazing. Who's your bae? It's Ahsoka. Yeah. Yeah. Ahsoka makes me proud to be a woman. 
and mm-hmm. teaches me different ways to be brave every time I see her. Which Ahsoka? Is it babyest Ahsoka? Is it baby Ahsoka? Is it young <laughs> Ahsoka? Is it medium Ahsoka? Is it large Ahsoka? Or is it biggest Ahsoka? Okay, I am inclusive of all sizes of Ahsoka. <laughs> they are all fantastic. I love baby Ahsoka. I always knew there was something deeper going on behind those baby blue eyes. And uh-huh. now we have proof. I love medium Ahsoka for just like being patient and resilient, but it was lit by firelight, teeth grimaced, full of resolve, grown up Ahsoka Mm -hmm. that really just made me melt into a puddle of feelings. Who's also just like, oh, you show up. With a red lightsaber, burn down a village, and, and think that's threaten going, me with a good time, and think that's going to intimidate me. <laughs> Do you have any idea what I've been through? Do you know who I am? Do you see how shoddy your footwork is oh. right now? Oh my god! You, you should cross. You should be taken away to be killed. Oh my god! I hope you die of the shame of <laughs> existing as yourself. But. I'm in a hurry, so I'll do it for you. Yep. (laughs) Bing, bam, boom. Bing, bang, boom. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, Bale and Ahsoka. Yep. Forever. Zaddy and and Zaddy squared. All right. Well, that wraps up Tales of the Jedi, and we are going on a short hiatus to enter phase two. Of our lives together. Yeah. Sam and I are moving in together, which Mm -hmm. is very, very exciting. So we're going to take four to five weeks off. We'll be back on January 10. Yeah. Until then, we will be packing boxes, loading the U-Haul, moving in together, unpacking the boxes. It's going to be kind of a wild ride. We have our like a dedicated recording space now, which is going to be really nice. Yay! Deeply exciting. And thank you for joining us for phase one of Growing Up Skywalker. It has been such a privilege and such a journey and such an amazing experience. And I'm just really excited to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Phase two, we're kind of defining as everything after Order 66. So it's going to be a real wild ride to see the hope in that. Mm, so that yeah. is the, our theme moving forward is hope. Yes. And uh, as always, you can find us on all the social medias that exist this week, Instagram, Twitter, maybe Facebook. And you can also find us on Patreon at Growing Up Skywalker at all those things. New this year, all of the tiers on our Patreon, starting from $3 a month, will grant you access to all of our bonus content, We know times are tough. Inflation's really high. If you want to support us, we are just so grateful. So starting at $3 a month, you can get access to all of our weekly bonus content. Mm -hmm. And if you can give more, amazing, but it is absolutely not necessary. We're super grateful for all of our fans, whether you have ever communicated with us or we know you in person or anywhere in between. So thank you for that. And send this episode to someone who makes you proud and teaches you new ways to be every time you see them. And send this episode to someone who watches you get beat up and says, again, again, (laughs) again. We'll punch him in the teeth for you. Again, again. See ya in a month. (laughs) 